We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 513 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Wednesday, February 22nd, 2023. It is Ash Wednesday, 2023. It is the day after Fat Tuesday, 2023. Uh, What also was the day on which we had the first Full squad workout of 2023 National Spring Training in West Palm Beach, Florida, and had the first full squad workout of 2023 Orioles Spring Training in Sarasota, Florida, and Fat Tuesday was the start of the NFL's tagging period. NFL teams have until March 7th at 4 p.m. Eastern to slap players with franchise and transition tags. Of course, Commander's interior defensive lineman Deron Payne is a prime candidate to get tagged. Uh, I do expect him to get franchise tagged. We'll see if and when the Commander's tag Deron Payne. Hello and welcome to this Wednesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast on what is the two-year anniversary of the Al Galdi podcast. Yes, we have lasted (laughs) for two years. Uh, I don't know how, but that has happened. Uh, The first episode of this podcast came out on February 9th, 2021, but that was an intro episode of the podcast. When you start a podcast, you have to do an intro episode before the podcast gets cleared on various platforms. So I count February 22nd as the true start of the podcast. February 22nd, 2021 was the first full-fledged episode of the podcast. That was when I started putting out a new episode of the pod each weekday morning, Monday through Friday, each episode out oh so early each morning. Uh, This is the podcast that wakes up with you. This is the podcast that follows Washington, D.C. area sports so that you don't have to. Uh, This is a podcast on which we talk commanders every episode, no matter the time of year. Uh, But this also is a podcast that goes in-depth 
on a number of other teams in this area. The Nationals, the Capitals, the Wizards, the Orioles, Maryland football and Maryland basketball, Georgetown basketball, Navy football, Virginia football and Virginia basketball, Virginia Tech football and Virginia Tech basketball, and more. Uh, This is a podcast on which we embrace analytics, but this is a podcast on which we have scheduled fun. I had no idea what to expect when I started this thing. I still have no idea where we're headed, but I am very grateful for the success that we've had. That is a credit to you, so I thank you for listening and downloading and subscribing. I thank you for all of the very nice five-star ratings and reviews. I ask you guys for those things all of the time because those things are important to the success of the podcast. And you guys have provided those things, and I'm very appreciative of that. Uh, if you have not yet done those things, please do. Uh, if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, or on Spotify, please give the podcast a five-star rating. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please write a review saying how much you like the podcast, the review. Does that have to be long at all? You know, a one or two-sentence review is fine. Uh, But again, thank you. Much appreciated. And yes, here we are. And coming up on this two-year anniversary episode of the podcast is a terrific guest, Commander's Analyst and former Redskins tight end, Logan Paulson. Uh, Logan is outstanding at talking commanders from an X's and O's standpoint, and Logan is going to give us a proper deep dive on the commander's new assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator, Eric Bieniemy, who Logan actually knows quite well. Uh, EB was uh, UCLA's running backs coach during Logan's freshman season at UCLA 2005. So we're going to get insight from Logan on the enemy's coaching style, which, of course, has come up quite a bit. Uh, Logan also is going to discuss what kind of an offense we should expect for the commanders with Eric Bieniemy as assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator and with Sam Howell as QB1, and Logan is going to talk plenty about Sam Howell. Some really good stuff from Logan on what he saw from Sam in his NFL regular season debut, the 26-6 victory over the Dallas Cowboys at FedEx Field in Week 18 of this past season. Uh, Logan Paulson, perhaps the single best person out there right now when it comes to talking commanders, X's, and those high-level breakdowns of Eric Bieniemy, Sam Howell, and more. Next segment. Also on the show, another loss for the Capitals. Uh, They are in a bad way right now, man. A 3-1 loss to the Detroit Red Wings at Capital One Arena on Tuesday night. The Caps now have lost a season-worst five consecutive games with each loss being a regulation loss. And they, on Tuesday night, lost yet another key player to injury. Uh, And I will talk Virginia Tech basketball. The Hokies fell to 6-11 in the ACC with a 76-70 loss to number 13 Miami at Castle Coliseum in Blacksburg, Virginia on Tuesday night. You know, Tech last season pulled off quite the run to win the ACC tournament. The Hokies may have to do that again in order to make the NCAA tournament this season. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. The feedback on the commander's hiring Eric Bieniemy continues to come in. Email from Vernon Thompson, writes Vernon. First, I'd like to say thanks for the consistently great content that you provide for my beloved Washington commanders on whom the national media seems to only want to talk down. As a fan who resides in Fort Hood, Texas and travels a lot, the pod helps 
helps keep order to my day, being my first listen with a cup of coffee, no matter the area code. Thanks. Well, thank you very much for that, Vernon. Continues, Vernon. I'm excited, but should I be? I'm not that guy who assumes that we're going 15-2 and two in the coming season after every offseason move, but this feels different. How often do we, as Commanders fans, get what we want? We don't get the shiny toy at the top of our Christmas list. We normally settle for what we can get. Then we talk ourselves into believing that what we got is as good as what we wanted. The hiring of Eric Bieniemy leads me to believe that EB thinks that, dare I say it, we're close. I don't think that he'd leave Kansas City just to call plays for just any team. So much of the progression of his coaching career is riding on the success of this offense. He knows what a championship offense looks like and must feel that he can get this group to a top five to top 10 level. Add to that the sale of the team to Jeff Bezos, wink, wink, which should start new stadium talks, hopefully back to Washington, D.C., hopefully a solid draft coupled with some free agent acquisitions, Ron Rivera coaching for his job. All of that makes for an exciting offseason, in my humble opinion. Maybe I'm jumping the gun a little bit, but I'd bet money that next season we will be a playoff team. Thanks for taking the time to read my email. Great pod. Keep up the outstanding work. Hashtag HTTC. Uh, Very nice email, Vernon. A lot of optimism in that email. I like that. Uh, The key to this entire commander's offseason being a good one is the sale of the team. If the sale of the team happens and the co-owners and co-CEOs, Dan and Tanya Snyder, actually sell majority ownership of the team, then honestly, this is a great offseason no matter what, okay? Uh, Now, did Eric Bieniemy come to the commanders because he thinks that this team, as uh, Dan's former BFF and former Redskins team president, Bruce Allen, once said, is close? It means you're close. Yes, Brucifer. Did Eric Bieniemy come to the Commanders because he believes that they are close? Or did Eric Bieniemy come to the Commanders because they were the only NFL team that interviewed him for an offensive coordinator job after he didn't get the Indianapolis Colts head coaching job for which he interviewed? Uh, I don't know. But I do think that it's safe to say this. Eric Bieniemy would not have come to the Commanders if he didn't think that he could do well with the commanders. Bienemy joining the commanders really is all about one thing for him, getting that long sought after NFL head coaching job. He has not come here because, you know, he has always wanted to be here or anything like that. He is here because for whatever reason, his tenure as Kansas City Chiefs offensive coordinator wasn't getting him an NFL head coaching job. And so he's trying something different. He has left the shadows of Chiefs head coach Andy Reid and Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes. And now the enemy is the commander's assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator. And presumably the offense will be all his. He'll be calling the plays. He'll be masterminding the game plans. He'll be responsible for this offense more than any other coach on the team. And if he does good work with this offense, an offense that uh, has not been good in a long time, uh, then maybe the enemy finally will get that NFL head coaching job. Uh, Email from Mike writes, Mike, having listened to your podcast every day and having listened to other podcasts, I feel a certain parallel between this Biennemi hiring 
and the quarterback selection last year. The enemy has had umpteen interviews for head coaching positions in the NFL. Every time there has been a head coach opening in recent years, you can count on the enemy's name having been brought up by the media. Many interviews, no jobs, that's one red flag. Then there are the stories that I have read about the enemy's bad acts earlier in his career and players not liking him and his approach. Further, no one seems to really know what his real job with the Chiefs was. Kansas City seemed to not want him back. No new contract and his replacement was waiting in the wings. Many red flags last year with Carson Wentz selecting him failed. I am concerned that the same fate awaits the enemy and the commanders. Uh, thank you for that email, Mike. I hear you on the concerns. I get the concerns. I talked about the concerns on both Mondays and Tuesday shows, episodes 511 and 512. I would say this, though. Uh, regarding what Eric Bieniemy's actual duties as Chiefs offensive coordinator were, I do think that we have a pretty good sense of those duties. He wasn't the offensive play caller, but he was very much involved in game planning and play designing. We got some good intel on those things on this past Friday show, episode 510 from Cody Tapp. Uh, co-host of Cody and Gold on 610 Sports in Kansas City. I also would say this, the Chiefs over Eric Bieniemy's five seasons as offensive coordinator, 2018 through 2022, had immense success, both as a team and in terms of offense. Uh, the Chiefs over those five seasons made the AFC Championship game in each season, winning two Super Bowl titles and three AFC championships. And the Chiefs in each of those five regular seasons with the enemy as offensive coordinator finished in the top three of the NFL in total offense per the best measure of offense, defense, and special teams in the NFL, the Football Outsiders DVOA metric. Uh, Eric Bieniemy was not the biggest reason for all of this success, but he was a reason. Like, you don't have that kind of success over five seasons, over half of a decade, if your offensive coordinator isn't good, even if he isn't calling plays. So while I do think that there are definite questions that we should be asking, I also think that the commanders in Eric Bieniemy have a guy who is smart and who knows how to do great offense. Well, a law firm that is smart is Paulson and Nace. Think of Paulson and Nace as the Kansas City Chiefs of Washington, D.C. area law firms. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Paulson and Nace fights for victims of all kinds of situations, including victims of errors made during diagnosis, during surgery, or with medication, victims of injuries caused by dangerous medications or medical devices, as well as defective auto parts, victims of accidents involving cars, trucks, bikes, or motorcycles, victims of deceptive trade practices and false advertising, heck, victims of shady lawyers. If your attorney acts in bad faith, is unethical in his or her counsel, or is negligent in his or her work, uh, you could have a claim for legal malpractice. Paulson and Nace has represented corporate clients throughout the region. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call 
Paulson and Nason schedule a no-obligation appointment. Call 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. And don't forget to tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Well, we on Tuesday learned of more change to the commander's coaching staff. Uh, multiple reports that receivers coach Drew Terrell is in fact leaving for a job with the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, we last Thursday evening had multiple reports that the Cardinals had requested permission to interview Terrell for their offensive coordinator vacancy. He's not getting that job, but he is getting a job with the Cardinals, perhaps passing game coordinator. Uh, Also, we on Tuesday had multiple reports that Commander's senior offensive assistant Jim Hustler is out. Uh, He had been Washington's senior offensive assistant since February 5th, 2021, when he was promoted from receivers coach to senior offensive assistant and assistant receivers coach Drew Terrell was promoted to receivers coach. Uh, Jim Hostler is a certified member of the Carolina Mafia. Uh, he had been a commander. Uh, Hostler was the Carolina Panthers receivers coach for the 2019 season. So change is happening with the commander's offensive coaching staff, but of course, no change has been bigger than the change at offensive coordinators. Scott Turner fired on January 10th. Eric Bieniemy officially hired this past Saturday morning, February 18th, as the commander's assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator. And now for great insight on Eric Bieniemy and more with the commander's offense, I'm very pleased to welcome back to the Al Galdi podcast, commander's analyst and former Redskins tight end, Logan Paulson. Uh, he played for the Skins from 2010 through 2014. He does a lot of very insightful work for the Commanders for their website and YouTube channel. Uh, he is the co-host of the Take Command podcast, and he puts out a lot of good content on his Instagram. His Instagram handle is Logan underscore Paulson 82. Logan, great to talk to you again. How are you? I'm great, man. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate that very kind introduction. Thank you very much. I appreciate you coming on. So you have a nice connection with Eric Bieniemy. You were a tight end at UCLA from 2005 through 2009. Eric Bieniemy was UCLA's running backs coach from 2003 through 2005. I don't know to what extent you dealt with him, but what were your thoughts on him as a coach at the time? Yeah, I mean, he was actually the recruiting coordinator when I was at UCLA. So he got to, you know, come to my house, met my parents, you know, told me how great UCLA would, would be him and uh, John Embry, who was a tight end coach here for a little bit. And uh, basically, you know, I don't say convinced me, but encouraged me to go to UCLA. And I was there and, uh, you know, he coached running backs, obviously. And but I did interact with him on a daily basis and got a lot of respect for my will say I've never been around a coach who coaches as aggressively as Eric Bieniemy, but he is a uh, he's a fun guy to be around. Very smart football guy. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm really excited that he's here in Washington. Interesting to hear you say that you've never been around a coach who coaches as aggressively as Eric Bieniemy does. Uh, what exactly do you mean by coaching aggressively? 
Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, he's a guy who has a very, very high standard, you know, and his standard, I don't want to say it's perfection, but it's something very, very close. And if you're not meeting that standard, he's going to let you know. He's going to let you know um, boisterously and aggressively and kind of uh, make sure he's very clear about his expectation and his standard. And it's something that I think uh, brings tremendous value here to this group in Washington, a group that, um, you know, the standard hasn't always been super clear, at least to the media personnel covering the team. And I'm pretty sure within the first couple of hours of him coaching his first practice, we're going to know exactly what he's looking for. Do most NFL players want to be coached aggressively? I think it just depends on the guy, quite frankly. I think, you know, like Lashady McCoy, for example, has come out and been very critical of uh, Eric, Eric Bianami. And, um, I can see where that's coming from, especially for a guy who's at his point in his career, kind of near the end, kind of has his process established. Um, I think, uh, you know, veterans, you know, you've been around for eight, nine, 10, 11 years. You have your way of being a pro and, um, and you have kind of your vision of what that means. And I could see how someone in that kind of state of their career would, would uh, maybe take umbrage with how the enemy coaches at times. But I do think that this roster here in Washington is very conducive to the enemy's coaching style. It's a younger group of guys, no one who's really done anything overly dramatic in terms of their career. Uh, so I think he's going to be a really nice fit for, for this group. And he's going to get the best out of this group, I think. Yeah, the comments of former NFL running back LaShawn McCoy have stood out, but his comments on the FS1 show Speak on Monday afternoon, uh, those comments, at least to me, were unintentionally funny because he, as one of his items of evidence for Eric Bieniemy not being all that, said that Bieniemy would get on Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes and Chiefs tight end Travis Kelsey, and I'm like, well, isn't that a good thing that he would get on the yeah. star players, but... I guess everyone sort of interprets those things differently. Yeah, I mean, I, I've always been a guy, been been a fan of him because he's not he's not afraid of the name, and I think uh, there are some coaches who shy away from coaching your star players hard, and I don't always think that's um, that's that's best practice. And so, what I mean by that is like you look at Atlanta, look at um, Matt Ryan. You know, I played uh, in Atlanta in 2018, a couple years after they had that Super Bowl loss to the Patriots, and Matt, you know, kind of had some difficulties with Kyle, you know, cause Kyle has a very high standard and he coached Matt to a high standard. And I think as much as Matt kind of bucked that at the time, appreciated that cause it does it. If the, if your star players aren't um, being held to the standard, then you're really holding nobody to the standard. If that makes sense. Cause other people look around, they say, Oh, you know, um, Trent Williams getting away with X. Like I can do this. And so I think um, w- with regards to that comment specifically, I, there's no credence there with me. Like, coach those guys hard. And, um, you know, they might not always like it. They might always love it. But it's making them better football players. It's making your team better. And I think there's a, it takes a tremendous amount of courage for a coach to do that. I agree. What LaShawn McCoy said regarding Eric Bieniemy with Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey made me like Bieniemy more, not less. Uh, okay, so you have a great grasp of X's and O's. Given what you know about what Bieniemy did over his five seasons as Chiefs offensive coordinator, and given what the commanders have on offense, do you have in your mind what you think the commander's offense under Bieniemy will look like? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to tell exactly. And I think it's not necessarily the enemy or it's not necessarily the skill position players. It's really what Sam Howell can tolerate. And I think that's going to be the big lift with this job for the enemy is, is taking this young player, second year player, 19 career throws under his belt and kind of finding out what he does best. And I think he's capable of doing that. When you look at Kansas City, I think they're very detailed in the run game. They do a good job of kind of 
insulating the run game maybe not in the same way kyle shanahan does but they you know they use formations they use jet sweeps they use jet motions to protect that offensive line and put them in good positions to be successful so obviously he does have a tremendous familiarity with how to call an effective run game it's just about what is that ratio going to look like how much are they going to be able to put that offensive line kind of in harm's way because that's another thing in addition to the quarterback the offensive line needs some pieces and i think that's putting it probably pretty mildly right they need center they need a guard they need a tackle and uh, that needs to come together and and when you watch kansas city one of the things that makes that group special is the offensive line is very very good now the enemy andy reed all those guys do a great job of insulating that group but those are kind of the questions that i think ultimately shape the outcome here and are unknowable until you start getting practice until he starts developing familiarity but i do think in his career he has shown an ability to understand a complex nuanced run game understand a complex nuanced passing game using formations and motions to elevate your skill position guys stacking plays calling a certain play to get a look to say this shot play is going to work later and from a fundamental play calling offensive development standpoint i think those are all things that get you excited now what form what's the final form that's unknowable until he's in the building and kind of knows exactly what he's working with we're talking commanders with commanders analyst and former skins tight end Logan Paulson. You used the word ratio, and uh, that has become an oft-used word in these parts of uh, the now infamous comment from commanders general manager Martin Mayhew at his and head coach Ron Rivera's joint season-ending press conference on January 10th, saying that a two-to-one run-to-pass ratio was ideal. Now, I do think that that comment has gotten blown out of proportion, but Ron and Martin at that presser did very much champion a running game-oriented offense. Does that desire mesh with the way that Eric Bieniemy wants to do offense, given the pass-happy nature of the Chiefs over his five seasons as Chiefs offensive coordinator? Well, I do think that um, there is kind of a precedent at the moment to run first is maybe the wrong word, but a run heavy group, you know, like look at San Francisco, look at Minnesota, look at Tennessee, look at Atlanta. There are teams that kind of lean a little bit heavier on the running game to insulate sub par or sub elite quarterback play. Let's let's characterize it like that. Right. And I think that there that is a sound philosophy. You don't want too much on your play callers plate. And I think like that is something that when you look at Kansas City, they're very effective running the football. Now they have one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. So can you still run that same approach and elevate that group the same way? I think that'll be interesting to kind of keep an eye on. I also think that, you know, Andy Reid in his history, when Alex Smith was a quarterback, was a very run-first approach. And I think because of that close relationship with Ron to Andy, with Eric and Andy, that's obviously in the bag somewhere. So maybe this offense looks more like the 2000, what is that, 8, 9, 10 Kansas City Chiefs as opposed to the 2000. 10 Kansas City Chiefs. I, my, my years might be off there, but you get my principle there, right? So I think that's something to keep an eye on. And I think a good offensive coordinator is going to speak to his his offense's strengths. And Eric Bieniemy, I believe, has an ability to do that. The Chiefs, with Eric Bieniemy as offensive coordinator, ran a good number of RPOs. Uh, the team that the Chiefs beat in Super Bowl 57, the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, have run a good number of RPOs with Jalen Hurts as the team starting quarterback. Uh, the guy who was being positioned to be the commander's QB1 for the 2023 season, Sam Howell, uh, he at North Carolina ran a lot 
of RPOs. In fact, that was a criticism of Sam coming out of college, that the way that he played quarterback in college was not a way that he could be successful playing quarterback in the NFL. Although, as you know, more and more we are seeing that you in the NFL can do offense like it is done in college. But do you think that the commanders will have an RPO heavy offense with the enemy as assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator and Sam as the starting quarterback, assuming that he is the team's starting quarterback for the 2023 season? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely going to be a part of what they do. How heavy, I think will be interesting. You know, when they say heavy in Kansas City, it's five to eight a game, as opposed to Philadelphia, where, you know, that's a huge piece of what they do. That's a, it's a huge tenet of what they're doing offensively. So, um, you know, I think you want to, again, you want to find what Sam Howell feels comfortable with. He's obviously shown some comfort with the RPO. I expect it to be a feature of the offense. Just the regularity with which it's called, I think, is yet to be seen. I think they've got to kind of figure out what their identity is, who these offensive linemen they're going to bring in, how they're going to utilize this young tight end room and the skill position players kind of collectively. And can they get into some more diverse run stuff like, like San Francisco does, for example, and maybe that kind of cannibalizes some of that RPO stuff. It just, it it remains to be seen. um, But I do think it'll be a feature of the offense for sure. This is the first time that we've spoken since the Sam Howell development. Uh, the multiple reports on January 14th that Ron Rivera was telling offensive coordinator candidates that Sam is being positioned to be the team's QB1 for the 2023 season. Uh, this is a week after Ron was reluctant to even start Sam in the team's season finale, uh, what ended up being a 26-6 win over the Dallas Cowboys at FedEx Field in a game in which Sam, in his NFL regular season debut, did quite well. Uh, the 180 by Ron with Sam Howell. Were you surprised by that? Um, I don't think so. I think, I mean, maybe a little bit. What, what I'll say is that I do think that he, Sam, has a lot of respect in the building. People like him a lot. And then when you get out there in a big game for Washington in a, in a versus division opponent and you show some of the physical traits that he showed, I think it gets you excited as a play caller and as a head coach. And what I mean by that is people have talked about, you know, the, the, the running ability, that's a huge thing. But the thing that really stood out to me was the quickness and the dexterity of his release on the football. And that is an elite trait that is very hard to coach. The moment didn't seem too big for him. That's also a good indicator. There's a lot of stuff going on there that gets you really excited. Now it's 19 throws, you know, like I'm a big sample size guy. I want more than that. You know, for me, I don't even really evaluate a quarterback till I've had four or five starts in the NFL, but in terms of traits, which again, you know, we're doing, we're getting ready for draft season. You look at the quarterbacks this year, traits are a big part of the evaluation because it says, Hey, this guy can project to X, Y, Z. And I think Sam, showed something with the arm talent and the running ability that says, man, this is something that could be special if if it kind of blossoms and grows the correct way. With the understanding of that small sample size, something that Sam Howell at least had needed to work on was his footwork. Uh, Ron Rivera had talked about that. Did anything with Sam's footwork in that win over the Cowboys jump out at you? Uh, I mean, that's a really good question. I think, uh, you know, obviously it was improved. I think his process was improved. I think his, his anticipation generally was improved. But I also think Scott Turner deserves a lot of credit because he kept it pretty simple for him, right? So again, this is going to speak to what the enemy can do and how creative and innovative offensively he can be with a guy that in this last game plan, it was, there's a couple throws where it's just like, hey, you're going to read this one receiver. Our guy's better than their guy. Make the throw. 
And that's easy processed. You know, it's not like read this multi-level throw, manipulate the safety with your eyes. There wasn't that much of that going on. But um, so again, like the, the, the difficulty of the completions he was making, again, is something that gives, that gives me some concern. But he was an improved player, very, very talented kid. The running ability is very intriguing because you can, it is a value add. It kind of raises the floor of your offense. So all of those things um, I think are encouraging. But again, how much can he handle from a neurological standpoint will be interesting. And, and again, that is going to be a really big rate limiter for this offense in Eric Bieniemy. The fact that Eric Bieniemy was not the Chiefs' primary offensive play caller, but obviously will be the commander's primary offensive play caller, does the lack of play calling experience concern you or not really? Um, I mean, that comes up a lot. And I think when you just look at recent history, like Sean McVay didn't call plays, you know, Matt LaFleur didn't call plays before they were the head coach of the OC. Like there is a precedent, a a pretty large precedent. I'd say probably 15 or 20 guys around the league, you know, Doug Peterson, uh, you know, Nagy, all those guys, they weren't the play caller when they left Kansas City and they've gone on to be very successful offensive coaches. So it's not as important to me. I think the hard part about, about being an offensive coordinator is cultivating and developing a game plan and when you look at what he's done there for five years he's been around one of one of if the not brightest minds in all of football when it comes to game planning finding nuanced responses to defenses and coaching with a high level of detail so i look at that and i say that the the while the while the play calling is a variable it's not the most important variable to me it's the game plan the film study the stuff that happens in the week that sets you up to be awesome on Sunday. And I think about what uh, Brian Billick used to say. He said, anything I cultivate on Sunday will pair in comparison to what I could have cultivated in the air conditioning of my office on Monday. <laughs> and I think that's what you get here with with a guy like Bianami. He He knows how to do that five-day prep for that Sunday game. You played for the Skins for the entirety of Kyle Shanahan's time as their offensive coordinator 2010 through 2013. You then played for the San Francisco 49ers in 2017 and what was Kyle's first season as Niners head coach. Is Kyle the best offensive play caller for whom he ever played? Um, I would have to say yes. I mean, he was very dynamic in that regard. And again, a lot of his, what made him dynamic was his ability to prep in the week and kind of anticipate responses by the defense in the week through the film study, through the prep. So again, maybe that's another reason why I'm not as concerned about it because the guy that's been the best at it in my career, and then Sean was also very prolific at it in terms of prepping the week, I think speaks to, um, Maybe like I'm not that concerned about it because as long as you know how to do the hard stuff, the, the tape grind, all that kind of stuff, you're going to be in a good spot to, to call plays on Sunday. This is kind of random, but you earlier mentioned John Embry. Uh, John Embry was an assistant head coach at UCLA uh, during Eric Bieniemy's time as UCLA's running backs coach 2003 through 2005. Embry was the Skins tight ends coach for your rookie season 2010. I used to do a radio show with another former Skins tight end Chris Cooley, and you know we've talked yep. a lot over the years, and he once told me that while he was drafted by the Skins in 2004, he did not become good at watching tape until 2010 because he learned so much about watching tape from John Embry. Uh, this isn't necessarily about John Embry, but I'm just curious, how did you become very good at watching tape? Like, were you always like this? Was there someone who helped you get to this level? Because it seems to me that just being a football player doesn't make you good at watching tape. 
There, there is definitely a skill to it. I think one of the things that helped me a lot, um, in addition to every single coach I had and mentor, John Embry being one of them, he was outstanding in that regard. I had three different offenses in college. I had to learn a new offense when I got here, I learned a new offense. And so basically hearing the different voices and how people approach the tape, they emphasize different things. And I knew from a very early, early in my career that I wasn't going to be able to be a good player unless I understood tape. So I would sit and kind of methodically go through it and say, out of this front, what are we getting out of this front what, uh, versus this coverage? What's my response? And just time on task. I know that sounds like super boring, but like taking that feedback from, you know, Embry, from Sean, from Kyle and watching how they did it and saying, how do I apply that to myself? It was a clunky, cumbersome process for me, but eventually it got me to a point where I, I felt comfortable it, and I'm still, I'm not like pre- proficient at it like i'm still learning how to do it better every single day so it is a it is a skill it takes a lot of time like with anything and i'd say that's why um i'm at where i'm at in terms of film study is there a coach or a player who you worked with who you consider the dean of tape watching or someone who you feel like was an, an elite tape consumer so any coach that i think is of any kind of quality is very good at watching film. So obviously Kyle comes to mind. Sean was excellent at it. Um, Frank Smith, the OC in Miami was very good at it. Uh, Wade Phillips was very good at it. And there's this deliberate, almost boring, methodical <laughs> approach to the film, right? You're watching, you're watching their cover two cutups. You're watching 30 cover twos in a row versus the same. And you're like, gosh, we know what's going on, but it's that 31th clip that kind of, sparks that thing that says oh this linebacker is going to carry me vertical in this look or they're going to bring this pressure versus this kind of rotation and it's just like it's boring it's not fun it's just you're crunching data you're like an accountant you know and you're just getting as much information as you can and those guys obviously all of them have progressed in their their careers and become very you know they're all offensive coordinators now they're all head coaches now and i don't think that's an accident because they have a their superpower is to be very boring and just study the heck out of tape. And um, my goal is to be on that same level one day. Yeah, I find that stuff interesting. So I appreciate the insight on that. Commander's analyst and former Skins tight end Logan Paulson. He is an elite tape watcher. Uh, Logan, thanks a lot for your time and all the best. Dude, appreciate you having me on. Thanks. Good questions. Made it easy. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
Well, our Capitals are reeling right now. They now have lost a season-worst five consecutive games, with each loss being a regulation loss. Uh, the Caps fell to 28-25-6, and a 3-1 loss to the Detroit Red Wings at Capital Win Arena on Tuesday night. The Caps now are fifth in the Eastern Conference wildcard standings. Only the top two teams in the wildcard standings of each conference make the Stanley Cup playoffs. The Caps now are fifth in the Eastern Conference wildcard standings. And the Caps continue to not score goals. The Caps, during this five-game losing streak, have totaled a mere eight goals, including just one goal in each of the team's last two games, uh, which include that ugly 4-1 loss at the Metropolitan Division leading Carolina Hurricanes at NC State's Carter-Finley Stadium this past Saturday night as part of the NHL's stadium series. Here was Caps head coach Peter Laviolette during his post-game press conference on Tuesday night. Well, anything would have been better than the previous game. That was um, that was not good. Uh, tonight, the, the guys had the right intentions. The you know, we fell behind again, one nothing. We can't get that lead, and um, you know, you're pushing to score goals. You know, there's probably three or four things that we'd like to have back where a mistake was made, something whether it was a penalty we took or you know a shorthanded goal. It's just, it's just, you'd like to have those moments back because the the rest of the game was we we pressed and we pushed, and especially in the third period, we couldn't put the puck in the net. And so it's. Uh, uh, it's, it's frustrating for everybody. Yeah, another injury for the Caps. Uh, winger Anthony Mantha suffered an upper body injury and did not return to the game. The Caps remained without winger Alex Ovechkin for a fourth consecutive game due to the death of his father, Mikhail Ovechkin. Uh, the Caps also remained without defenseman John Carlson and Ford's Connor Brown and Carl Hagelin due to injury. The Caps did get back center Nick Dowd. That was good. He returned from a 12-game absence caused by a lower body injury that he suffered in a 4-3 overtime win at the New York Islanders on January 16th. But the Caps on Tuesday night lost again. Uh, Darcy Kemper was the Caps' starting goaltender. He stopped just to 22 of the 25 shots on goal that he faced. The Caps need more from Kemper right now, and they're not getting that. Uh, Kemper, per natural stat trick, did stop all seven of the high-danger shots on goal that he faced, but he gave up two goals on medium-danger shots on goal and gave up a goal on a low-danger shot on goal. Uh, a strange game for the Caps from a puck possession standpoint. The Caps, over the first two periods, totaled just 12 shots on goal, but the Caps in the third period had 15 shots on goal. The Caps in the third period per natural stat trick had 30 five-on-five shot attempts to the Red Wings' eight, and yet the Caps lost that third period one nothing. Uh, the Caps per natural stat trick for the game, 53 five-on-five shot attempts to the Red Wings' 39, and yet each team finished with six five-on-five high-danger shot attempts. The Caps finished with 27 shots on goal to the Red Wings' 25. Uh, a lot of blocked shots for the Red Wings. So the Red Wings had 28 blocked shots to the Caps' 13. Uh, the Caps were good on special teams. Caps went 2-2 two two on the penalty kill and 1-3 on the power play. Winger Tom Wilson had a first-period power play goal, but he also committed a second-period hooking minor. And here we are with the Caps. Uh, Season-worst five consecutive losses, all in regulation. The team has fallen to fifth in the Eastern Conference wildcard standings, and the NHL trade deadline is looming. Uh, the NHL trade deadline is on Friday, March 3rd at 3 p.m. Eastern. 
are the Caps on the verge of being sellers? More from Peter Laviolette from his post-game press conference on Tuesday night. It's it's easy to get frustrated when you're not winning, um, but there's a veteran team in there, and um, they know how to win. And so we'll, like I said, we'll, we'll get ready for the next game. I, I thought it was a marked improvement from the other night, but still, there's things that we we can do a little bit better and uh, get ready for the next night. But the, I think having a veteran group in there that knows how to win and is experienced at winning, that's a good recipe to, to try and get out of something that's not working for you right now. And things are not working for the Caps right now. They are an old team. They are a team that has been brutalized by injury. And they, for the moment, are a fading team. You know, it's tricky in the NHL because you say, we'll just blow the whole thing up. Well, as we know, with the Stanley Cup playoffs, all you have to do is get in and you have a legitimate chance at winning the Stanley Cup. We see lower seeds do well in Stanley Cup playoffs all of the time. And so, you know, with the camps, I don't know that they necessarily have to blow the whole thing up, but this may well be a reset season. You know, this may well be a season in which the caps should reset and retool and uh, try to get back at it next season. Uh, Next up for the caps, home to the Anaheim Ducks, Thursday night at seven. A Virginia Tech basketball season that has featured the Hokies not necessarily being bad, uh, but not being good enough, continued on Tuesday night with another loss that falls into this category of not bad, but not good enough. Uh, the Hokies fell to 16-12 and 12 overall and 6-11 and 11 in the ACC with a 76-70 loss to number 13 Miami at Castle Coliseum in Blacksburg, Virginia. Tech has three regular season games left. That's it. Uh, Then comes the ACC tournament. The Hokies are very much running out of time to make their case for the NCAA tournament. Uh, The Hokies on Tuesday night trailed for the entire second half. They did cut a nine-point second half deficit to one. Uh, Tech held Miami to just seven of 22 on threes and just 20 of 42 on twos, but the Hokies had just seven free throw attempts to Miami's 19, got outscored in terms of free throw points. 15-5. The Hokies in the first half went just 2 of 11 on threes. In the second half, did go 7 of 16 on threes. And Tech for the game went 19 of 33 on two. So again, some things to like from the Hokies. But again, they lost. Uh, They did have just seven offensive rebounds to Miami's 14. The Hurricanes have this guy, Norchad O'Meara. 6'7 transfer from Arkansas State. He's from Nicaragua. He is a load. Uh, Omir on Tuesday night, 33 minutes as a starter. He did go just 6 of 15 from the field, all twos, but he also went 5 of 6 on free throws, finished with 17 points, 14 rebounds, including six offensive boards and three steals. Uh, very good game for the Hokies' Hunter Couture. He, in 40 minutes as a starter, went 5 of 10 on threes. Uh, 0 of 1 on twos. He finished with 15 points, 6 rebounds, including 2 offensive boards, 4 assists versus no turnovers, and 4 steals. And this was a milestone game for Couture. He became the 50th player in program history to reach 1,000 career points. Uh, But Wright State graduate student transfer Grant Basile had a tough game. 30 minutes as a starter, 1 of 4 on threes, no assists versus 4 turnovers. He did go 
Five of eight on twos. He finished with 13 points and four rebounds. Sean Padula, 36 minutes as a starter, just a two of nine on threes. And he committed three turnovers. He did go four of six on twos, three of three on free throws. He finished with 17 points, six rebounds, and three assists. And the Hokies did get back freshman Rodney Rice. This was good to see. Rice suffered a broken finger on his right hand at the end of practice on January 14th. That was off him having just made his collegiate debut in the Hokies' previous game, their 82-72 loss at Syracuse on January 11th. And that was off him having been out due to injury. Uh, Rodney Rice is a four-star recruit at a DeMatha Catholic High School in Hyattsville, Maryland. He, on Tuesday night, played for 11 minutes off the bench. Didn't do much, but uh, him just playing was a good thing. Next up, for Virginia Tech at Duke, Saturday night at 8. One more item before we call it a show. The Wizards buyout of Will Barton finally is complete. Uh, The Wizards on Tuesday afternoon announced that they had waived Barton. A tweet from ESPN NBA insider Adrian Wojnarowski on Tuesday afternoon. Quote, Washington Wizards guard Will Barton has completed a contract buyout ahead of the March 1st deadline to become eligible to join a playoff roster on a new team. Sources tell ESPN Barton will become a free agent once he clears waivers, end quote. It was on NBA trade deadline day on February 9th that uh, Woj reported uh, that the Wizards and Barton were working on a contract buyout. So the buyout took almost two weeks to get done, but it be done. Uh, What happened with the Wizards and Barton, very disappointing. The Wizards acquired Barton in their big trade of this past summer. The Wizards, last July 6th, officially announced having traded Contavious Caldwell-Pope and Ish Smith to the Denver Nuggets for Monte Morris and Will Barton. Uh, Barton had been a productive starter for the Nuggets. He, for the 2021-2022 regular season, was number eight among all qualified small forwards in the NBA in ESPN's real plus-minus metric, and was number two among all qualified small forwards in the NBA in ESPN's defensive real plus-minus metric. But Will Barton this season struggled with the Wizards, uh, fell out of their rotation, fell into the doghouse of Wizards head coach Wes Unsell Jr. Uh, This season had been a contract season for Barton. Uh, Wizards are in the midst of their all-star break. Their next game isn't until this Friday night, home to the New York Knicks at 7. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Thursday show, episode 514, will feature plenty on the Commanders. Also, I'll talk college basketball. Busy night on Wednesday night. Maryland is home to Minnesota Wednesday night at 7. Georgetown is home to St. John's Wednesday night at 9. And number 6, Virginia, is at Boston College Wednesday night at 7. Have a great rest of your Wednesday, and I'll talk to you on Thursday. It means you're close.